stretch. Alright. Stretch and turn around, say hello to the person behind you. Thank you very much. Now you may be seated. Um, we usually have a song before the sermon. We've done this time. We had a lot of announcements before that. So you might be, I think you might be just needing a bit of a stretch before we, before we get into this. Um, if you have that little sheet of white paper that uh, you received as you came in, on the inside there is an outline of where we're going. Uh, we're not going to have many PowerPoints today, unlike the usual ones. We're just going to have some verses that we're going to look at. So uh, you need, if you want to follow the outline, you have to follow it on the sheet. Um, there's lots of blanks there. You'll see it's quite a detailed one. I'm going to have to ask you to work very hard with me today. Um, because we're going to be working hard. Well, we work hard together, yeah? Uh, I'll ask you to open up at Ephesians 5. Uh, Ephesians 5. We're going to get into that a little bit later. Um, we're going to do something else first. And we're going to look today about what it means to be spirit-filled. As we begin, I'll lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your spirit-inspired word, uh, that we may know your mind, and that we may know um, how to live, and we may know how you want us to live. Father, um, we thank you that this word is sufficient, uh, that everything we need to know for life and godliness is here. Uh, so even as we come to think about issues, we can come to your word and know that, that what your spirit says here um, is, is right. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you help us now as we consider that. Uh, we pray that uh, your spirit would be our teacher uh, as we, as we uh, look at this word together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are lots of uh, different ideas going around about what it means to be spirit-filled, aren't there? If you Google spirit-filled on the internet, you'll find all kinds of things. You'll find somewhere at the top, a, somewhere in America, a, a coalition of spirit-filled churches. They say, we are a coalition of independent churches and group of churches from Pentecostal renewal and charismatic traditions who have united for the exclusive purpose of credentialing and promoting of spirit-filled clergy and lay caregivers for pastoral care in specialized settings. And that's the group that's called Coalition of Spirit-Filled Churches. You see, in some, in some circles, being spirit-filled means exactly the same thing as being Pentecostal or charismatic. All right, so they say, Do you, are you spirit-filled or is your church spirit-filled? What they mean is, is it a Pentecostal church? There are also different teachings on the actual filling of the Spirit. Now, some people say that if you're filled with the Spirit, you get funny sensations. Now, here's one, one, one popular Anglican author uh, and video course presenter uh, had to say. He says, Sometimes when people are filled... They shake like a leaf in the wind. Others find themselves breathing deeply as if almost physically breathing in the Spirit. Physical heat sometimes accompanies the filling of the Spirit and people experience it in their hands or some other part of their bodies. One person described a feeling of glowing all over. Another said she experienced liquid heat. Another described burning in my arms when I was not hot. What happens when people are filled with the Spirit? And how would we know? 
If someone said to you, have you been filled with the Spirit? What would you say? How would you answer? If someone was to ask you, is, is smack a Spirit-filled gathering? Well, how would you answer them? Or are they the right questions in the first place? Today we're going to look and see what it means to be filled by the Spirit. Now we're going to be looking at, and how we're going to work it out is by looking at the Spirit's words to us in the Scriptures. And that's how we know what the Spirit means. Now the only place in the Bible where we are commanded to be Spirit-filled is in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. So we're going to spend a few minutes, well, we're going to spend quite a while actually later on, looking at that passage in its context to try and figure out what it means and how to apply it. The other references to being spirit-filled are in Luke and Acts. And so we're going to spend some time looking at Luke and Acts, and there's just, the, just those passages, uh, to see what Luke means when he writes about being spirit-filled there. Right, we're going to do that one first. We'll start with Luke-Acts, and then we're going to look at Ephesians. Now, in Luke-Acts, we find there are two or three different words that are translated to being spirit-filled. They look similar, uh, but they actually mean different things, and you can actually differentiate them. Uh, first of all, there is being filled with the Spirit. Uh, Luke and Acts have descriptions of people who are filled with the Spirit for a particular purpose. And, it's, and the thing that you notice as you read about it, it's always got to do with speaking the Word of God. Have a look at some of the verses on the screen. Uh, the first one is from Luke 1.15, uh, and it's talking about uh, John the Baptist. And it says, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. In Luke one forty one, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and exclaimed to Mary, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. In Luke one sixty seven, Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. He spoke the word of God. And then in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, uh, the believers were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In chapter 4 verse 8, Peter, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, says uh, and, and defends the, the Christian faith to, to the rulers and elders of the people. In chapter 4.31, uh, after they prayed, uh, the after the, the God's people, the, the early church prayed together and, they, and the place they gathered was shaken, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And Acts 9.17 Ananias uh, uh, prays for Saul uh, that he might regain his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in 9, 18 and 19 we see about him regaining his sight and then in verse 20 he proclaims Jesus in the synagogue saying he is the Son of God. And in Acts 13, verse 9, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, says to uh, uh, this guy who is opposing the Christian faith, he's son of the devil, enemy of all righteousness, etc., etc. Uh, he speaks against him. Here are the passages that talk about being filled with the Spirit, all to do with saying something. Now let me give you five observations that we can make here about being filled with the Spirit. First of all, God is especially empowering these people to say something for him. Right? Like Elizabeth or Zechariah uh, speaking and prophesying, the disciples speaking in tongues at Pentecost, or Peter preaching later. Right? The Holy Spirit enabled them to speak the message that he wanted to give. 
So being filled with the Spirit is about being empowered to preach God's message, to preach God's Word, to speak God's Word. Which is not surprising, really, given the intimate connection between the Word and the Spirit that we saw last week. Now, can I just ask, can everyone hear me clearly at the back? It sounds less loud. No, okay, all right. Fine, fine, fine. So, you've got this uh, um, empowering to, 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 to speak the message of God. Okay. Secondly, it's sort of a one-off thing. Right? God fills them with the Spirit so they can do this task. Where the next time they need to do the task, they are filled with the Spirit again. So, Peter was filled with the Spirit with all the other people on the day of Pentecost. But then when he spoke to the Sanhedrin in chapter 4 verse 8, we saw that he is filled again. Because he needs God's special enabling to do that task. The exception then, I think, is John the Baptist, who said because he's filled with the Spirit from birth. But that, that seems to be like an unusual thing. That's why they mention it. Thirdly, it is not about speaking in other languages. Right? What do we have common in all those verses up there? Uh, can you go back and have those verses again, Carol? Alright. Uh, is the proclamation of the Word of God. Right? So in all the references to being filled with the Spirit, there's one reference to it being in other languages, in other tongues, in chapter 2, verse 4, and that's on the day of Pentecost. And those tongues on the day of Pentecost were foreign languages because people could understand them from where they came from. So really, that's just another incidence of proclaiming God's Word. Right? Now don't hear me saying there's no place for tongues. We'll look at that later under the gifts of the Spirit. What I'm saying is they're not evidence of being filled with the Spirit. What these passages have in common is not tongues, but the powerful proclamation of God's Word. Does that make sense? Can you see that? Okay. Fourthly, being filled with the Spirit is not self-service. Right? It's not something that you can manufacture yourself. You don't fill yourself up with the Spirit. You are filled with the Spirit. It's a passive thing. You don't do anything to get it. It's something the Spirit does to you to empower you to proclaim the message. And fifthly, it's not just an apostolic thing. You might be thinking, oh, the special empowering to proclaim God's Word, that's only just for the apostles. After all, Peter was filled with the Spirit and he preached, and Paul was filled with the Spirit and he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. Maybe that's just the apostles. Now, if you thought that, well... That's a reasonable hypothesis. It's worth testing. But when we do test, we check, up, we check it up, we find it's not quite right because there are many people who are filled with the Spirit, not just the apostles. For example, in 431, that, that third thing there, it said all the believers were filled with the Spirit and spoke the Word of God with boldness. So it's not just an apostolic thing. It's something that could happen to normal Christians like us. Right, so what have we worked out so far? First category, we've got being filled with the Spirit, usually a special empowering to boldly proclaim God's Word. And while Luke is describing here a phenomena, rather than telling us we must imitate it, there's no reason I can see why we shouldn't think that God could do the same thing today. We can't fill ourselves with the Spirit, but we could ask God to fill us. And so we need to pray. Pray for our preachers and our evangelists, that the Holy Spirit would fill them so they would preach the Word of God truthfully and powerfully and accurately whether it's in a public talk or a private session pray for ourselves that God will fill us with his spirit to broadly proclaim his word whenever he sets the opportunity before us and filled with the spirit has been given the empowering to boldly proclaim God's word well it's the spirit's word isn't it we see that last week it's the spirit's word the scriptures ok so we've got the being filled with the spirit now, in contrast to this, the book of Acts also has descriptions of people who are full of the Spirit. Right? It's a different word in the Greek, and you can see it reflected in the English, by being filled with and full of. Right? 
Here are the references. The first one is to Jesus in Luke chapter 4 verse 1. Where Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. He returned from Jordan led by the Spirit in the wilderness. This is straight after his baptism. And, and it's saying that Jesus is the one who is really full of the Spirit. He's the, he's the perfecter, the true man, the perfect man. Remember, in his baptism he goes through the water. Like Israel of old went through the Red Sea. Like Israel of old went, through the, uh, went, went to the desert to be, to be tempted. And Jesus, the Spirit, leads Jesus into the, into the desert to be, to be tempted. But unlike Israel, he would triumph. He's the perfect man who would live the perfect life and be everything that God's people are meant to be. He was full of the Spirit. And those who are full of the Spirit are those with characters like his. They are godly and Christ-like in an ongoing way. Look at the other references in chapter 6, verse 3. Um, when they're looking to appoint uh, people to, to, to leadership, right? they say, Brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, which we will appoint to this duty. Uh, in Acts chapter 7, verse 55, one of those men was Stephen, and he was full of the Spirit. And there he was, when, when, when he died, his martyrdom, full of the Spirit, gazed in heaven, saw the glory of God. And in chapter 11, verse 24, uh, someone else there is described, and I can't remember who it is now, um, as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. See, so being, being full of the Spirit is linked to, to being good, being full of wisdom, full of faith. A characteristic of, of people that we must have before, before they can be leaders. Something that stays even in the midst of, of persecution and martyrdom. Right? So it's not just a, a momentary influx of spiritual power, but a constant way of life. It's the same idea that Paul would have later when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Being, being full of the Holy Spirit means being like Christ. Being godly. Because remember, the Spirit leads us to holiness. Makes us like Christ. And so someone who is full of the Spirit is someone who is Christ-like and holy. For the Spirit changes us to become more and more like Christ. And the Spirit has been working on these people. So you could ask, am I full of the Spirit? Am I bearing the Spirit's fruit? Am I showing Christ's character in my home, in the workplace? We'll look more at the fruit of the Spirit later on in the series as well. So those are the two groups of references right, we have in Luke and Acts. And notice they're both descriptive. Right? They tell us what it was like then, and we have to work out how it applies today. But the one place we're actually commanded to be Spirit-filled is in Ephesians 5.18. So we're going to spend the rest of the talk looking at that passage carefully to try and work out what it means in its context. Right. Now to set the context for that, let me summarize the previous part of the book of Ephesians. In the first part of Ephesians, we're told that God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. If we belong to Christ, there is no spiritual blessing that we don't have. We've been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before God. We've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, His, His sacrificial death on our behalf. We've been given the Holy Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing the, the great inheritance we have in Christ at the end of the age. We were dead in our sins, and now by His grace God has made us alive in Christ. And we receive that gift through faith, by, by, by trusting in Jesus. And we were made part of the people of God, whether we were Jew or Gentile. Given a new life, new identity, and new purpose for the praise of His glory. 
Is that distracting you? It's okay? Alright. I'll try not to get distracted by it. But notice, what the Holy Spirit says through the Apostle Paul is that the change in status means that we have to change the way we live. Since we are in Christ, since we belong to Him, the old way of living goes out the door. We are to live a new life, a life that reflects who we truly are in Christ. We are God's people, His adopted children, people who have been saved from sin and death to live for Him. And we are to get rid of our old roles, the, the character we used to play before. Play a new role. We are light and so we can no longer walk in darkness. And this new way of life is called, in chapter 5 verse 2, walking in love. Or, in chapter 5 verse 8, uh, walking as children of light. And in our passage today, Paul reminds us that we need to live this new life. Now the Spirit tells us, as Paul told the, 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 the Ephesians he was writing to, in verse 15, look carefully then at how you walk. We're now in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, going into it a bit more. So Ephesians 5.15, look carefully at how you walk. Don't walk like the pagans, he says. Don't walk like the people who don't know God. Be very careful not to live that way. Be careful how you live. So that's the context to the command of being filled with the Spirit that's going to come. So being careful how you walk. And then to flesh out how we are to walk or how we are to live, he gives us three statements which contrast godly living and ungodly living. The first one is in the second half of verse 15. Not as unwise, but as wise. Now how do you live as wise? Well, verse 16, making the best of the time because the days are evil. You've got to make the best of the time. All right? uh, literally translated, it's redeeming the time. That is, we are to make every opportunity to be godly and grow in godliness that we can. We need to, we need to take every opportunity that we can. Right? Now, Judy will tell you that I always procrastinate when it comes to exercise. Right? One day, one day, I'm going to start an exercise regime, and not too long from now, I'm going to get on my exercise bike and watch DVDs every second day or something like that. All right? One day soon. Friends, when it comes to godliness, we can't do that. We need to repent now. We need to start living godly lives today. We need to make the most of the time now. We need to redeem the time. Start living in Christ now. To take every opportunity to be encouraged in godliness to be help and to help others press on in godliness. Why? Because the days are evil. We live in the age of sin and rebellion. We're still living in the time before the final judgment in a society that doesn't know God. And so the world will push us and push us and push us to live lives that are not wise as far as God is concerned. And the devil will tempt us and tempt us and tempt us to live that way. And even our own sinful natures, our own self with its passions and desires, will want to come out and take over all over again. And we are in a battle and we need to redeem the time. We need to make the most of every opportunity. If we procrastinate, if we say, oh, let me keep my living my own way for a little bit longer, we are putting ourselves at great risk. We must make full use of the time, not fritter it away on ungodly living. In fact, our priority when it comes to time will be whatever helps us to be godly. Whatever helps you to be godly, make that a priority when it comes to your time. So read the Bible and pray. Come to church, be involved in Bible study, or meet your Christian colleagues at work for lunch, or encourage each other to be godly, talk to your friends at school or college or whatever, get together, 
one or two others to pray, pray with your spouse, pray with your children, read Christian books, listen to sermons in the current traffic jams, whatever. Make the most of your time to keep yourself on the straight and narrow. Make sure you look out for others as you do as well. Because the days are evil. If you slack off and think, oh, let you allow to be godly, that's too hard to do that. Then you're heading for a fall. Spirit says, make the most of the time. The second contrast Paul gives is in verse 17. We had wise and unwise. And now in 17, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of God is, the will of the Lord is. Now, what does Paul mean when he says to understand God's will? And he's not saying you should know who you should marry or what course you should do at university or which job you should apply for or which counter you should buy on the KLSE. He's told us what God's will is elsewhere in Ephesians. Have a quick recap. You go to chapter 1 verse 5. He tells you, In love he has predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. It is God's will that we were chosen to be his children. In chapter 1 verse 9. Uh, he tells us that he's made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ right, that is God is going to bring the whole universe under Christ that is his will in chapter 6 verse 6 slaves are told chapter 6 verse 6 slaves are told um, to obey their earthly masters not by the way of eye service as people pleasers but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart so they're to obey. So understanding God's will means understanding God's plans and purposes for the universe, to bring everything under Christ, where we fit in that as God's adopted children, and to understand how that affects our daily lives. That's, that's God's will, isn't it? Understanding God's will. God's plans and purposes for the universe, bring everything under Christ, God's will to make us His children, and then... God's will in terms of leading our eyes. And friends, the world does not understand that. They do not know, they do not believe that God is going to bring everything under Christ. They do not know and they do not believe that we can receive adoption as God's children in Christ. And they live lives that don't reflect what God has done. And the Bible tells us we are not to be ignorant or foolish. We're not to be like the rest of the world that doesn't know God. Who We know God's will. We've been told. God has revealed his will to us in his word. We don't need to find out any other way, but we do need to put into practice. So do not be foolish, he says, but know what God's will is. Which now brings us to our third contrast, which is the one we've all been waiting for. Now the fact the other two commandments are about godly thinking and godly living, and the whole thing is about um, living or walking in the way that God wants us to, you'd expect this last commandment to be something along that line as well, wouldn't you? Something about godliness, and in fact it is. Paul spells it out for us in verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so we've got three contrasts. Do not be unwise, but wise. Do not be foolish, but understand God's will. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So that's the third contrast. Now, when God says, do not get drunk on wine, I take it to mean, he also means do not get drunk on gin or whiskey or sherry or beer or whatever else people get drunk on. Paul doesn't say not to take any wine at all. He says, don't get drunk. 
if you want to take wine and you can get you can drink without the risk of getting drunk and you're over the legal age and you're not going to cause anyone else to stumble and get drunk then there's no reason why you can't if you want to you don't have to huh? but if by drinking you risk getting drunk you've got temptations in that area or if your drinking is going to cause someone else to risk getting drunk then well, it's better not to drink at all isn't it because getting drunk the Bible says leads to what our translation calls debauchery uh, the actual word used means recklessness right? behavior that shows a lack of concern or thought for the consequence of an action you see when we're drunk we do or say very stupid things sometimes don't we well, sometimes we say and do stupid things anyway but when we're drunk it's far more likely to happen we forget to be self-controlled we forget to think about how what we do will impact on others we forget to evaluate carefully the, the decisions we're making and the things that we do can have deep consequences for ourselves and for others and, and that's terribly wrong do not become intoxicated on wine Bible says but be filled by the spirit So here we are, we've hit, that, we've hit that phrase, be filled by the Spirit. Okay, it's prescriptive, it tells us what to do, we can't escape the force of the command. That's what God wants us to do, it's a godliness thing, we ought to be, have to be, filled by the Spirit. And if we're not being filled by the Spirit, then we are disobeying God. So let's try and work out more carefully what it's saying. Now the word filled here is another word that's different again from those two words we looked at in Acts. It's in the present tense, which may not mean much to you, that's okay. What it means is, it's, 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 uh, it's not a once and for all thing. Okay? It's a continuous. It's a, it's, go on being filled by the Spirit. Right? It's present, continuous, imperative for those who love grammar. I don't know why you love grammar, but anyway. It's an ongoing thing. Right? It's not active. It's passive, it's something that's done to you, but you are told to allow yourself to be filled. And the context that it's in, everything that comes in, comes before it and comes after it, confirms to us that it's not about a sudden spiritual infusion, but ongoing godliness. Furthermore, it's better translated, be filled by the Spirit, instead of our translations, be filled with the Spirit. Okay? By the Spirit is a better translation than with the Spirit. Let me show you the difference. Um, if I had, just imagine that I had a, a uh, jug of water here and a glass. Right, an empty glass and a full jug of water. Right. Now, suppose I pour the water into the glass. The glass is filled with water. Right. But it is filled by me. glass is filled with water it is filled by me Paul's not so much saying here be filled with the spirit he's saying filled by the spirit okay? allow the spirit to fill you now then the question is well fill you with what? and you look back and you go well, it doesn't say but actually he's already told us you go back to chapter 3 verse 16 to 19 chapter 3 verse 16 to 19 He says that he prays for the Ephesians that according to the riches of God's glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being 
so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and breadth and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see that? Okay, so he prays that they would be filled by the Spirit, so that they would understand the great love of Christ, verse 18, and so be filled, verse 19, with the fullness of God. See? Why? What does it do to you? It makes you reckless. The Spirit, what does He do to you? He makes you godly. He fills you with the fullness of God. He makes you more and more like God, in the sense of being morally pure and good, developing God's character. And how does He do that? Well, in verse 18, by helping you understand deep down inside the deep, deep love of God in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? He points you to the cross. He points you to Jesus. So don't be intoxicated by wine. Be filled by the Spirit. Let the Spirit show you the love of Jesus and so therefore fill you with the character of God. So let me ask you again. Have you been filled with the Spirit? Well, not the question is that. Have you been filled by the Spirit? Well, it's still not the question because it's an ongoing process. Are you being filled by the Spirit? That's a good question. Are you being filled by the Spirit? Is the Spirit showing you the love of Christ and so changing you to become more and more like Him? Is the Spirit making you more and more godly, more and more like Jesus in the way you live your life? And that's the same question as, are you being filled by the Spirit? Now, does that make sense? You see that? Okay. Paul goes on now to describe, to give four descriptions of, of people who are being filled by the Spirit. Okay? People who are being filled by the Spirit will act in these ways. Now, it's a good thing we're using the, the ESV because we can see that very clearly in our translation. Right? In some other translations, they, they cut the... There's a long sentence, they cut it to make it easier to read, but what happens is you lose this. If you look in, if you look in verse 18, you see that the main, sentence, the main, the main um, verb there, the main word, the, the doing word there, uh, is be filled with the Spirit. End of verse 18. And then verse 19 to 21, there are four characteristics that come out of that, result from that. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Secondly, singing at the end of verse 19 and making melody to, in your heart to the Lord. And 20, giving thanks always and for everything in the, to God the Father and the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Alright? So we're going to look at each of those one by one. Alright? First one, verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Alright? Interesting, isn't it? One of the things that results from being filled or being filled by the Spirit is that we address each other in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. We, we sing together. And who do we sing to? Well, we sing to God, yes. But here, first of all, we sing to each other. We address one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Now that's an interesting perspective, isn't it, on singing in church? You see, our singing isn't just to God, it's, it's to each other. One of the main reasons we, we get together to teach and encourage each other to love and good deeds, uh, to be godly, and we sing to each other. 
God's word. We sing good things to each other. Now we can sing to God anywhere, can't we? We can sing to God in the home, in the car. We can especially sing to God in the shower. It sounds a lot better when you sing to God in the shower. But when we come together, we sing to God together, but we also sing to each other. Our singing is to remind each other of the gospel. We tell each other what God has done for us in Christ. We, we speak to each other about how he died for us on the cross and how we can be forgiven and how he rose in triumph and, and we encourage each other to follow him and to serve him and lay down our lives for him. And as believers who are being filled by the Spirit, we are being made more and more like Christ, which means we're becoming more and more concerned for our brothers and sisters. More and more wanting to serve them and so we will speak to each other and sing to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The second activity that people are being filled by the Spirit are engaged in, second half of verse 19, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. So that's the other half of the story. We're still singing and making melody to God. And we do it with all our hearts, our whole beings, not just our lips. As the Spirit fills us, we come to understand more and more how, what, what Jesus did for us on the cross. The Spirit shows us God's love and, and the love of Jesus, then what he's got in store for us then our response is to to sing to make music to him to thanking him from the bottom of our hearts for what he's done and when we meet together we can, we can do that together as God's people perfectly appropriate to sing and make music to God so here are two activities so people who are being filled by the spirit help us understand what we're doing in church when we sing we're not making God's presence come down Right? as if he wasn't already here when we gather around his word in the name of our Lord Jesus we're not using music as a way to, to reach up and touch God as if music can take us into his presence because it's Jesus Christ who brings us into God's presence it's any, any technique or we think anything we try to do to, to make ourselves get into God's presence that's, that's idolatry no, we sing to each other and we sing to God with all our hearts in thankfulness for what God has done for us because the Spirit is filling us to help us grow to understand God's love. Third thing people who are being filled with the Spirit do in verse 20 is giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. Thankfulness is a mark of Christian speech and life. People who are filled with the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit have thankful hearts. Thankful for what God has done for us in Christ. Thankful for the salvation we receive through his death. Thankful that we made his children given his spirit. Thankful for the inheritance we have. And thankful for no matter what we go through, God is with us now. And thankful that God's working for all in, in, in everything that's happening for, for our good. Uh, thankful for all the blessings we receive in our daily lives. People who have been filled with the Spirit are filled with thanksgiving. We give thanks to the Father through the Son. And the final description of people who are being filled by the Spirit is found in verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, the word submitting here means yielding to the leadership of someone who is over you. Okay? It's not what I used to think. I used to think it was every Christian submitting to every other Christian. But actually it's actually talking about yielding to the leadership of those who are meant to be our leaders. And the reason we do that is out of reverence for Christ or literally the fear of Christ. And it's when we understand how, who Christ is and how great and holy he is and, and we stand in awe of him, we realize he's the one who stands behind the authority that we submit to, then, then we will do so in reverence for Christ. 
And people who are being filled by the Spirit recognize their God-given roles and, and act in godly ways within them. And others that submission is in weakness. It's not saying they're less than a person than the, than the other person they're submitting to. It's, it's following the example of Jesus who's equal with God and yet submitted to the Father. And now Paul goes on to explain what this means for various relationships of wives and husbands and children and parents and, and slaves and masters which is entirely practical but we're not going to go through today. But the spiritual Christian submits in a fitting way to those in authority over them. Okay, let's summarize the end. What have we seen today? Being spirit-filled is, very, is often a misused term. Right? It's not about experiencing particular phenomena or being part of particular denominations. It's not about whether you can speak in tongues or whether you have particular sensations. When you boil down to it, two things about being spirit-filled. Sometimes God's Spirit gives people special empowerment to proclaim His Word. And we've seen that in Acts, and we've seen how it's been called being filled with the Spirit. And while we're not commanded to be filled with the Spirit in that way, it seems to be a good thing to pray for. Well, we need to speak to others about God, and so we should. And secondly, we've seen that being full of the Spirit is about being Christ-like and godly. And we saw the, the, the command to be filled by the Spirit in Ephesians, actually very much like that second use in Acts, isn't it? Uh, about people who are full of the Spirit. So the primary thing about being Spirit-filled is not that we get more of the Spirit, but the Spirit gets more of us. And He makes us more like Christ. It's about allowing the Spirit to change us and mold us and shape us into the, into the likeness of Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, we go back and ask ourselves, are we being filled by the Spirit? Is God's Spirit working in us, pointing us to the love of Christ, and therefore changing us to become more and more godly, more and more like Jesus in the way we live? And are we a Spirit-filled congregation? Are we people in whom the Spirit keeps on pointing us back to the love of God in Christ, and changing us together, corporately, to become more and more like God? Are we people who speak to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, who make melody in our hearts to God, who are characterized by thanksgiving, who willingly submit to authority in response to God's love in Jesus? Well, let's pray that God would be at work in us, make us more and more that way. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your spirit. I thank you that by your spirit we can actually have faith and believe in the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he's a spirit of adoption that makes us your children. We can cry out to you, Abba Father. And we thank you that your spirit is the one who points us to your love and helps us to see more and more the depth of the love that you have shown us in Christ. We pray. Uh, that he would be filling us more and more um, with, with, with your character and your likeness. And we pray that as we, as we see um, what you have done for us in Christ, and the Spirit makes that real to us, uh, that he would be changing us uh, and making us like, like you. And Lord, we, we pray that that would be a characteristic of us, uh, not only individually, but as a, as a congregation together, uh, that we would reflect your character and your likeness. 
And Father, we do pray um, that as we seek to um, respond to those who oppose you, and as we seek to uh, speak your word to others, your spirit would also be filling us in that other way, uh, giving us the power and the boldness uh, to boldly and clearly and faithfully uh, proclaim your word uh, and make you known. Uh, we pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand and sing our next song, we're continuing to pray, asking God that we may have the mind of Christ.